I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. Sexual shame and stigma, something that a lot of people have experienced, including myself, and we're going to talk today about how my experiences with that have differed very greatly from Brian's. But first, we need to thank our partners, altplayground.net. Guys, if you are looking to enjoy a non-monogamous adventure, we highly recommend that you check out altplayground.net. It is a very sexy place to be, but I would also say if you're fairly new to non-monogamy or just interested in learning more, there are so many amazing resources at altplayground.net, including the podcast corner, video corner, and communities from some of the best sex-positive content creators out there. So head on over to altplayground.net today and start your new adventure. And we also want to thank Promescent. They make some of our absolute favorite bedroom products. And one that we have gotten a lot of people to try and have absolutely loved is the Delay Spray. It is a product that allows you to last a little bit longer in the bedroom. And who doesn't want a little bit more sexy time? So if you want to check out Promescent for yourself and their full line of products, head on over to promescent.com. That is P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T.com. And use the promo code SWING50 for 15% off of your order. You will not be disappointed in the amazing products that they have to offer you. So, yes, we are going to, like I said, talk a little bit about sexual shame and stigma. And trust me, guys, it's I think it's going to be a lot more fun than it sounds because what we're also going to talk about is how to transition away from some of that and really own your sexuality. Hopefully, this will be uh, helpful for some of you. I know, you know, it's something I personally have had to work through and maybe having that discussion will help you too. But before we do that, we're going to share a survey that we read from Lilo, which if you guys are not familiar with Lilo, they produce some of our favorite sex toys. And I love that they're trying to put some new resources together on their website. Not trying, they are. They're putting together resources. And I was reading a really interesting one that of course piqued my personal interest because it's a BDSM survey that they conducted with 1,100 people. Granted, not a huge survey, but they put out some of the top ways that people are enjoying BDSM in their own bedrooms or are interested in doing so. And we talked a little bit about the number one way that people are doing it is spanking, which I think is awesome because if you're interested in impact play, it's where we always recommend starting. For sure. If it's a spanking type situation is the most controlled, obviously, and it's the most obvious to start with. Right. Right. I mean, it's the least impactful for the most part should be anyway, could be. And certainly you have all the control over the level of impact. Yes. Yeah. I also think it's sexy. Like spanking sure. is one of those things. Contact. That- hand-to-hand contact. Yeah, hand to body. Hand to body. <laughs> yes. I think it's one of those things that it, even if you're not super into quote unquote BDSM or you don't think you are, you may still enjoy spanking in the bedroom a little bit. And I think that's why it's so high on this list. Well, we've also had this conversation. I don't know how spanking necessarily 
ranks in terms of BDSM. There's it's certainly a portion of impact play or can be. It's remedial. It's beginner. It's surface level, right. entry level type of BDSM, if you want to call it that. Yeah, not to say it's not great. It's just typically no, we where do people it kind of start. I think a lot of people start with spanking and then they like that and they're like, oh, maybe we should try a flogger or maybe we should try right. a crop. So it's that, yeah, like you said, great entry level spot. The other one that I thought was really interesting, though, is restraints was number two. Sure, makes sense. And then once again, we said, okay, what does restraints mean? Because that can mean so many different things. Right. It can mean everything from furry pink handcuffs that you get down at the sex toy shop on the corner, all the way to like shibari rope play, very intricate tying that takes years to learn how to do. Yeah, there's a huge gap between those things, right. obviously. And again, there's levels to everything and there's certainly levels to BDSM. And if you're into the concept of being bound or restrained and you've never done it before, you know, I guess fuzzy handcuffs are not a terrible way to start. You could certainly graduate from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people should. I mean, obviously, I don't think your first experience with rope bondage should be like a two-hour hog tie. No, you know? no, probably not the best idea. No, it's a bad plan. So yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's great. And this survey went on to say that more people are becoming interested in BDSM play than ever before, which you can attribute to a plethora of different things. But one of the things you and I personally talked about was, I wonder if people are getting kinkier during this time of quarantine. And that's why we're starting to see more of the internet searches or people seeking out those resources. Well, I think we're seeing what we're seeing are that people by virtue of being thrown together and locked up and quarantined, I think they're having to communicate. They're having to have conversations with each other, right? Those or they things, have more time to do so. Well, certainly, well, the time for sure, but it's also almost like you're you're in a room together or in your house together for an extended period of time. If there ever was a time where you were going to have a conversation about needs and wants and desires, why not now? Right. And I think that it would appear as though more people are interested I don't think that's the case. I think the same number of people have always been interested. They're just now really having those conversations and pursuing them. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's exciting. I think it's like one of those sexy byproducts that maybe can come from quarantine. Sure. You know, like maybe we'll also start to see more people enjoying non-monogamy. Oh, I think we, yeah, well, we know, we, we, we know that that's the thing. We've heard that obviously with our other podcasts from Port Swingers. We've been in contact with folks that talk to us about that and write to us about it and how now that they're at home and they're, they have more time and they're listening to, to shows like ours that they're talking to their partners about it. Right. You know, and it's becoming a topic of conversation. And again, it's something that, you know, maybe you didn't have those conversations with your partner when you first got together three years, five years ago, whatever the case may be. Right. And now you're, you figure, well, we've got nothing to lose. Throw it up against the wall, see what sticks. Right. And let's talk about ethical non-monogamy. And there you go. Or maybe the optimist in me would like to think maybe they're taking this time to just improve the relationship altogether. And therefore, some of these conversations are coming out of it. So, for example, maybe instead of you know being so hectic and driving your kids here and going to work until whatever time and blah, 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 blah. Like you're just forced to sit there and work on your own relationship not force, that's not the right word. For some people, maybe. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, you think about people's lives pre-COVID, right? The typical, let's just say, nuclear family. Mom and dad, perceivably, perceivably are working. 
they're seeing each other for a short period of time in the morning, taking care of the kids, doing all the things they do, and then they get together for a little while at night. By the time the kids go to bed, it's time to pass out because they're they're just wiped out. So there's a limited amount of time that they typically have to communicate. Right. Well, once again, now you have all kinds of time and you have to fill that time with something. Right. And as you begin to communicate about the mundane things, typically what will end up happening is you start to open up a little bit and a little bit more and then your partner opens up a little bit more and before you know it, you're talking about ethical non-monogamy as yeah. a potential lifestyle change. Or BDSM. Or or both. Get it, people. I love that. Yeah. I love that it, you know, like I said, not a great time, but maybe there's some good byproducts to come out of yeah, this Yeah, there time. might be a silver lining. If your relationship is strengthened uh, because of this, then yeah, good. Then maybe it was worth it. For sure. So, like I said, at the top of the episode, we are today going to talk about sexual shame and stigma because you and I have very different experiences when it comes to this. Yeah. We had different upbringings, very especially different. when it comes to sex. And I think it's interesting that we've ended up where we're at here together, really being on the same page when it comes to sex, despite the fact that we had very different journeys. So we're going to talk yeah. a little bit through that today. Yeah, 100% different. First of all, we have, I think as we spoke on our last episode, we are an age gap couple. So there's 20 years between us. Right. So my experience is growing up in a completely different generation than yourself. That's one byproduct of this conversation. And not the least of which is I grew up in a very sex positive house. Right. You did not. So we're going to talk about that. Yeah. And I'm going to start by yeah explaining a little bit about my upbringing because, you know, here's the thing. I grew up in one of the most, I've been calling it homogenous environments that I can think of, yeah. right? So I grew up in rural Montana and everyone around me kind of looked the same and everyone was within the same general economic stature and there was very little diversity in things like sexuality. I didn't know anyone growing up that was in the LGBT community. That right. was not a thing. And so I had very little exposure to anything outside of quote unquote normal family dynamics and normal sexuality or you had very little contact with people of other races for that right. matter absolutely ethnicities that's just simply not a thing where you grew up still is it yes so there's a there's a large native american community but outside of that you had very little uh, interaction with anyone of any other race or ethnicity well and even the native american community was not so much where i lived right. i lived in the most white <laughs> yeah. middle class area you could possibly imagine yeah. and now, looking back on it, I realized that that did have a huge impact on the way that I lived the first, you know, 25 to 30 years of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And even now is impacting decisions I make and perspectives that I have on things and the way that you and I communicate about certain things. All of that impacts you. But I think it really had a huge impact on my sexuality. First of all, the majority of people that I grew up with were from some sort of a religious background. Myself included in kind of more of a, an indirect way. Right. My grandparents are all very religious, for example. My father's parents are devout Mormons, and my mom's parents are very Lutheran. <laughs> and so that was definitely part of the impact. You know, that had an impact on our family dynamics. For sure. And I think in addition to that, it shaped the fact that neither of my parents ever wanted to talk to me about sex. Yeah, that's a problem. I mean, that's where it starts, right? That's where the where the confusion starts as a as a child or an ad, as an adolescent. You don't really have the, you know, you don't have the vocabulary because it hasn't been taught to you. 
Well, and I think even more so than that, the fact that I had zero conversations with my parents, they're both avoiders. They don't like to talk about serious topics anyway. And so sex kind of fell under that umbrella. Death was another one. We, you know, if someone died in the family, I wouldn't know about it for weeks. Or, you know, if there was any serious topics going on, any of the financial stuff going on in the family, I never heard about any of that kind of stuff. It was like avoided. It was almost like they wanted to shield us. And I appreciate that to some degree, but the other side of it is, especially with things like sex, it resulted in me going going out to the world and being completely confused. Well, also, it's a generational thing to some degree. And I'm certain, I don't know this to be 100% certain, but I would guess that neither your parents, neither of your parents were spoken to about sex, either from their parents right. or from their the, the elders in their family. So I'm not surprised necessarily that that trickled down. Right. You know, that makes sense, actually. I'm not surprised either. But... I remember very distinct things that had an impact on me that did not come from my parents that I wish I would have been able to ask my parents about because they shaped my sexual views in very strange ways. So for example, I don't even think I've ever told you this yet. So my grandmother basically forced me into going into confirmation classes through the Lutheran church, okay? My mom was not devoutly religious at this point in our lives, but my grandmother was, and she really wanted me to be confirmed with the Lutheran church. So I very begrudgingly agreed to go. It was when I was in junior high, and I received a lot of very, in my opinion, inappropriate sexual education via confirmation classes. So for example, and this one has stuck with me, I think about this now, now that I'm at this point in my sexual journey, I think about it all the time. So they gave everyone in the confirmation class a Hershey's kiss, and they asked everyone to unwrap it and take a bite of it and then wrap it back up. And then unwrap it again and take another bite of it and wrap it back up. And then hand the candy to the person next to you and unwrap it and ask, asked everyone do you want to eat that piece of candy and everyone was like no and the guy leading the session goes yeah that's kind of like having sex before marriage wow the idea that you are giving a piece of yourself away to other people means that you're not whole for the person that you're then going to marry and you're not basically i mean not he didn't say it in these words but basically you're not as worthy or valuable to the person that you're then going to marry yeah you're damaged goods yeah yeah so i i mean okay we'll get into this a little bit more but i also was confirmed as a roman in the roman catholic church and even i didn't experience that yeah that's that's like next level kind of crazy yeah and here's the thing if i had had a more open dialogue with my parents i really truly believe i could have gone to my mom and been like hey this happened during confirmation today and we could have had a conversation that maybe didn't have such a weird impact on me but we didn't have that open line of communication so i couldn't do that that's kind of a disturbing overtone and i've never even heard of anything like that well and then i had a very close friend who also was in the mormon church very large mormon population where i grew up and for her she was always taught that masturbation was a sin you're not allowed to touch right. yourself. The right. first time I'd ever even heard of masturbation was from her telling me that if I touched myself, I was going to hell. Yeah, that's a Roman Catholic Church thing too. That's it, It's considered abuse. It's self-abuse. Yeah. So yeah. those were just a couple of examples of things that really stuck with me for a long time. And I found myself being fearful of any sort of sexuality because the only real information I had received was if you do certain things, that's sinful. You're not going to be as 
desirable. Well, yeah, you're no longer pure. You're no longer desirable. You're damaged goods. Yep. Yeah, that's. I think it's typical of a lot of, at least from my experience, from the religious perspective. That's a that's a pretty typical type of statement. Yeah, and so you know, I mean, through high school, I definitely I, I dated. I you know kissed boys. I did all that kind of stuff. I didn't lose my virginity until I was in college, and even when I did lose my virginity, it was this idea of like, oh well, I had been dating the person that I went on to marry. That's who I lost my virginity to, and we had been seeing each other for over a year and I was fairly certain being stupid and you know 19 or 20 years old at that point that I was going to marry that person so I was like okay maybe it's okay now that was the only time I really allowed myself to believe that it was okay to have sex and even after that I do remember certain feelings of shame about it well sure you felt like it was okay because you convinced yourself that this person was who you were going to marry so of course it would be all right yeah Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that's that unusual. I would imagine for a lot of people, that's a pretty typical kind of reaction. Well, and then think about what that breeds in terms of being in a marriage, right? So I have very little sexual experience going into this marriage. He didn't either because he also came from a devoutly religious family, a Catholic family. And so you find two people together who are completely uncomfortable talking about sex, who have no baseline for what a healthy sexual dynamic looks like. And we just sit there with that for years. It's a problem. Yeah, that's why, well, for you, at least that marriage didn't last. Right. Obviously, one of the reasons. I mean, that wasn't the only reason. But yes, that was a huge part of our relationship is that as time went on, it basically became a sexless marriage because neither of us were getting what we wanted. I was realizing as I got older, as I read more... The Savage Love Cast changed my life. If you guys haven't listened to that podcast, Dan Savage truly changed my life because all of a sudden I realized there were all these people out there who had interests that I had never even heard of. I was hearing of of things like, you know, pansexuality for the first time and threesomes and non-monogamy and all of these different ways that you can express your sexuality that I didn't even know were a thing. Well, sure. And then, of course, once that that relationship ended is when you really started to explore your personal sexuality. Right. Absolutely. And I think the pivotal moment for me was through researching and reading and online resources and podcasts, I realized that I had this intense draw. I was very drawn to the BDSM world. And it wasn't until I left my marriage that I really felt the courage to go to my first munch. And that was when like the lights clicked on and all of a sudden I was like, this makes sense for me. This can be how I express myself sexually in a way that I never had before. And and that really did change everything. Well, yeah, once you, it's like an awakening. Once you realize that there's something else out there besides what everyone says is the normative sexual place to be in your marriage and you've had only had sex with the person you know that you married and that's, I mean, talk about archaic. Yeah. That's, that's a, you know, now I can't even imagine what that must have been like I've, because because obviously my my upbringing was very different so that was that I mean how restrictive that must have been yeah well and on the the opposite side how freeing it finally was to realize that there were oh. other options out there i was a kid in a candy store when i first got into the bdsm world sure i mean i was exploring everything talking to everyone i found a mentor actually a couple that was they both mentored me in certain ways and i learned about everything and had my first sexual experience with a woman and realized maybe i was bisexual and like just all of these things that made me realize that i had spent 26 years of my life stuffing everything down into a box that had anything to do with sex and like how much i had missed out on up to that point well sure you didn't even know up until that point that you had the capacity 
capacity to ex- express all of those things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I can't even imagine how, as I said, how restrictive that must have been. Yeah. For me, very different. Yeah. Let's hear how your journey differed because I think it's so interesting how contrasting it is. Yeah. I wasn't confronted with any kind of shame as a child for you know having to do with sexuality. It wasn't until I was an older person and married and the shame came from my partners. Right. And that really had to do with what it was that I needed sexually because I knew quite clearly what I needed. I grew up in a house, Roman Catholic mom, atheist dad. You can imagine <laughs> things got a little weird. But, you know, I did all the things that a good Roman Catholic boy does, communion, confirmation, you know, all those kinds make of things. Make mom happy. Got to make mom happy. And dad always wanted to make mom happy, although he did not believe in any of it. Right. And so what I got was both sides. I saw the religious component of what they thought sexuality should be from the Roman Catholic perspective. Right. And then I saw dads. And I grew up in a family where dad owned and operated bars and restaurants and gentlemen's clubs. So I was exposed to sexuality at a very early age, not just heteronormative sexuality and not just vanilla sexuality. My first babysitter, as I told you, lived above us in, a, in my father's building. She was an escort in the 70s. And that was my first babysitter. Right. And she was awesome. When I did ha- you realize she was an escort? I think they told me when I was in high school and she was a friend of the family. So, you know, she was always around, but it, what it was never, your reaction? Like, Oh, I that's just, cool. Or yeah, I didn't even, like, I didn't even bat an eye. I thought, oh, okay, whatever. You know, it's just, you know, just her. Yeah. You know, she was a friend, friend of the family. And then of course you, you talk about from various types of lifestyles. I have many family members who are gay or lesbian right? and they would come out to my parents because my parents were the most understanding people as it pertained to sexuality in my family by far. And I have a giant family, as you know. My mother has 14 siblings. Right. So, you know, there was a lot of, lot, of, lot of personalities. But of all of them, my parents were the most understanding. So if I had a cousin that was gay and they wanted to come out, they came out to my parents. So I had a, very early on had experiences with those types of things. And so for me, it was normal. And the idea that there were other types of sex and there were other types of people that you could be attracted to and, you know, sex was not between a husband and a wife forever. And, you know, all those things became very evident to me early on. Did you have discussions with your parents about sex? Predominantly my father. He always wanted to make sure that if we were exposed to something as kids that seemed restrictive or very bound up, he would always be very quick to, you know, pull you aside. Hey, come over here. Let, <laughs> let me tell you something. Let's have a chat. That's not the only way this happens. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that way. Don't right. get confused. That kind of thing. And he was always an advocate of experiencing things. Did not want us to stay home. Wanted us to go away to school. Go as far away as you can. If you don't want to go to school, get out of here anyway. Go live life. You know, my dad grew up during the Depression. He lived on a Native American reservation with a, with a woman for many years. He was a blackjack dealer in Vegas in the 50s. He did a lot of living. Right. You know? My mother did not. That was not my mother. She grew up in North Jersey, where I am from. And she lived, for the most part, her early years, 1920, till she met my dad. Same house, same people, same block. You know, didn't experience all those things. And so they had very different upbringings. And for me, it was great because I got to see it all. Yeah. I experienced no shame. I was able to tell my mother or my father very confidently that I was having sex with whom I was having sex. They would ask, are you having sex with this person? 
are you protecting yourself? You know, those kinds wow, of things. Wow, that's very progressive for the times. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, again, when you're when your first babysitter is an escort and dad <laughs> owns gentlemen's clubs, uh, you know, you're a very popular kid in high school. And so, you know, those conversations just were normal for us, right. you know. And they certainly did not want me to be repressed in any way and, and didn't want me to be shocked by society as I got older and started to grow and got out on my own, didn't want me to be surprised by anything. Uh, certainly I wasn't. I was way ahead of the guys and gals that I grew up with. So here's a question, though. You have a sister. I do. Was that the same situation for your sister? Were they equally as open and understanding with her? Later on, my sister went to Catholic school for most of her education. I was asked to leave Catholic school. <laughs> Shocker, rebel. <laughs> yep. Um, so until her teens, let's say 16, 17, 18, it, when she kind of got out on her own and was doing her own thing and did her own experimentation, they were very, my dad was very much uh, protective of her mm-hmm. until she got older. And then he realized, well, you know, she's going to do what she's going to do. She needs to make some mistakes and, you know, let her do her thing. Right. But certainly um, not like me. Yeah, it was very different. The boys got a different treatment from from her. For Interesting. sure. Just I, the only reason I ask is because obviously I'm coming about it from the other gender as well. I think women in general are more stigmatized, especially when it comes to sex. Yeah. And so that's interesting. Well, but she wasn't, it wasn't like she was, uh, she was exposed to the same things I was. She had the same understandings and she was able to discern one from the other, certainly. And uh, not, not closed off at all. She grew up, you know, very healthy, I think, and and experimental and all those kinds of things. Same as most teenagers. She wasn't, uh, wasn't kept from doing anything. I think that there was a little bit more of an emphasis on attempting to keep her safe and out of trouble than there was for myself and my brother. It was right. a little bit more like, yeah, you know, boys will be boys kind of thing. And fortunately, we were, for the most part, we were not troublemakers. There was no trouble in our lives. And I think a lot of that came from f- having the freedom to make mistakes. Right. You know, I think if you're if you're repressed and then you're, you're kept from doing things, I think you're much more likely, at least in my experience, because I saw it with some friends, they're much more likely to, to, you know, lash out and make mistakes and do dumb things. Oh, absolutely. As opposed to being able to go home and have a conversation with a parent or an adult and say, hey, I was thinking about this and having them say, no, 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 that's stupid. Don't do that. Right. You know, I've done that. <laughs> Don't do that. Do this instead. And I think that makes a, a huge difference, particularly, particularly as you get older and you go away to school and you start to kind of, you know, develop your own personality and certainly sexuality. For me, sexually, when I got out of uh, out of my home and went to college in Georgia, it was to say that my world opened up. I tell people all the time, I was born in New Jersey. I grew up in, in Atlanta where I went to college. The truth is, of course, I went to school at 18, but I learned everything there was at that time in my life to learn sexually about myself in those late teens, early 20s, right. for sure. And then just certainly expanded on it as I got older. Well, and I'm sure that I would assume anyway, I don't want to assume, maybe I should ask you instead of assuming, (laughs) what impact did running strip clubs have on your sexual identity or your ideas around sex? It definitely gave me a a very skewed view of what sex, not sex, I shouldn't say that, what relationships were. I had a very difficult time having meaningful relationships because I took sex for granted. Frankly, because it was easy for me. Right. I was very fortunate to be a young, strapping man in my early 20s and into my 30s, operating gentlemen's clubs all over the country at a very high executive level. I did not have a problem meeting women. 
It just came easy. (laughs) And when things come easy to you, you very rarely take them seriously or give them the credit that they deserve, which obviously is why I've been divorced four times. And again, I take full responsibility for those things because I was not happy in those relationships. Not, I mean, for a period of time, of course you are, but that doesn't last because you quickly realize that you're not getting what you need out of the relationship. Well, if you don't tell your partner what it is that you need, you are probably destined for failure. And when I would mention it to a partner, hey, maybe we should experiment with this or I would bring something up. If I was very quickly met with any kind of, judgment or shame or scoffed at. I'd never had that conversation again. That was the end of it. And that was usually the end of the relationship, the beginning of the end of the relationship. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting is you experience so little shame around sexual sexuality and your sexual identity when you were growing up. Yep. And yet you've told me multiple instances of being in relationships with people where you wanted to express yourself, you wanted to be honest with them, but as soon as you experience shame from them, you shut yourself down. Yep. And so it's almost like you live two different lives from a sexuality perspective right sure you had a very open upbringing where your your father was running gentlemen's clubs you then went on to run gentlemen's clubs yourselves you're around a very sexual atmosphere and experiencing all of those things and having fun with a lot of women and yet still being in relationships where you don't feel like you can fully express that yeah, it was interesting. I would go from being the the single guy on, out on the town dating multiple women and having sex with multiple women, everybody just having a, you know a good time, to f- engaging with a woman for in a, in a relationship, be it someone I was dating or whatever. I would find a woman who was absolutely not that way. Would you do that on purpose? Do you think? I don't think. No, I don't even think it was uh, conscious. I think it just happened. So here I am living a life of obvious. I mean, it just you Debauchery. talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you talk about excess <laughs> and an opportunity to almost. I don't think it was purpose because I never really did it on purpose. But it, it seemed like I was just. I would end up being stifled, and then of course. I would express myself to say, you know, hey, listen, why don't we invite another, you know, a third person into the mix, male or female? It wasn't like I was, uh, you know, misogynistic. Yeah. I didn't really Equal care. Equal opportunist. 100%. Yeah. And it was, if it was met in any way with some kind of disdain, I just went, oh, yeah, just kidding, you know, back off. And that was the end of it. And then certainly that was the end of the relationship very quickly thereafter. So it's interesting because I had everything I wanted for the most part sexually, but what I didn't have was the partner. I right. didn't have the partner that I needed. And the to, acceptance. And the acceptance to really enjoy all those things. Right. You know, the things that you and I enjoy. So it really was a bit of a, a struggle from a relationship perspective. So you spent a lot of time feeling shamed by certain partners to some degree. Sure. And then you come to Montana and where where's the shift happen? Well, that was the end, right? I mean, talking about, you know, I was 47 years old when you and I met. You were 26, right? Twenty. You were 27. Just, yeah, 27. Almost 27. Right before our birthdays. Yep. And I had just decided that was it. I was done. I can't do it anymore. I can't live in a restrictive environment. I can't have the quote unquote vanilla relationships and, and have all of these needs and desires and wants. I was running gentlemen's clubs. I was running lifestyle clubs, again, at a very high level and executive level and seeing all these things and interacting with all these people and you know the nightclub scene and all that kind of stuff. Casinos only to go home a lot of times to a vanilla relationship. And that just wasn't working for me. Was there like one pivotal moment or was it more like the straw that broke the camel's back? No, no. I think what it was was I had an opportunity to make a career change very quickly because of, you know, the sale of my company. And I said, you know what? I'm I'm just going to change everything. 
I'm not just going to change how I look at relationships and how I enjoy relationships or engage in them. I'm going to move away. I'm going to find a place that I can start over and just be who I really wanted to be. And so... So you came to Montana. Probably had, not the best choice. But. Well, I mean, I had a lot of I mean, options. It worked out, but... I, I had a lot of options. But in the end, at the end of the day, as I told you at the airport, getting ready to board a flight to Ithaca, New York to accept this position, I went, ah, no, nah, not going to do it. I'm, going, I'm not going back home. Man. Yeah. I'm not going back to the Northeast. I'm going to check out Montana and see what's up. And fortunately, I did because, you know, I came back. I came here a few times corresponded with you. And when I was here finally permanently, you and I had the opportunity to meet very quickly. And our relationship started the way all of my relationships should have started, if I'm being honest, right? Just like yours. You got to the point in your relationship, you know, you were just ended like you were dating someone. Mm-hmm. Again, in a very vanilla kind of situation. Very. And you were done. You're like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Yep. And I think our timing was perfect because you had had enough and I had had enough of what everyone thought should be a normal relationship, yes. right? You date somebody, you only date that, per- you only have sex with that person and it's once and a half times a week and... <laughs> oral sex on birthdays right. and that's pretty much it and i just I, I was just not wanting to ever be that guy mm-hmm. so you and i met under the guides of a bdsm relationship like that's how it started so when you have a relationship based on that like we're going to be we're not going to be a couple we're going to play in the bdsm space you're, you're my dom yep you're the bottom on the top here's the guidelines here's yep. the parameters here's the boundaries okay go well, when it starts that way, there's no reason not to be fully transparent, right? right. What are you hiding? What, what could you possibly hide? Yes. You're, you're completely exposed when that's the beginning of the relationship. Right. A lot of people hope to end that way. <laughs> you and I started that way. Yeah. So from that perspective, it was like, okay, well, she's good with this. Let me dip my toe. Let me test the water on maybe this idea. And then every time I wasn't met with judgment... All it did was just get my juices flowing. Like, okay, she's good with that. Let me pivot over here. Yeah, it's like the sexy snowball. Yeah, well, it really, it's, and people misunderstand it. I don't want people listening to misunderstand and misunderstand how our relationship was was kind of based and, and what the foundation was. While it sounds like it was just all about sex and it was all about just getting the things we wanted sexually. That's a part of it because we were missing that, obviously, in our, in our past relationships. But the piece that people really miss a lot of times is the communication and the ability to be open and not judged. Right. That's really what it's all about. Because we can now, of course, even then, but now especially, we can talk about anything without having to that, that judgment piece. We don't agree on everything. Right. We disagree on a lot of stuff. We have 20 years between us. <laughs> we just did it this morning. <laughs> we just did it this morning. We disagree on a lot of things. But at the end of the day, we come back and realize, okay, this person's, you know, her perspective is different from mine or, you know, his perspective is different from, from mine because, and this is why. And then you just kind of have to understand that. But it doesn't stop us from communicating, certainly. And again, it's, there's no judgment there. Right. You know, you don't have to agree. Partners don't have to agree all the time. What they have to agree on is to be judgment-free and open to listening to the other person's perspective. Yeah. That's really all you have to agree on. Well, and I think the biggest lesson that can come out of both of our kind of shedding of a lot of the shame that we had, I know for me personally, and it sounds like from you based on what you're saying, is you have to eventually get to the mindset of this doesn't work 
and I have to have the courage to change it, right? Because I could have continued to go into vanilla relationship after vanilla relationship. In fact, I did it even after entering into the world of BDSM, even after feeling fulfilled and excited about my sexuality for the first time in my entire life, I still started dating a vanilla guy again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things you just can't seem to can't seem to shed it right it's it, it there has to be something has to happen you and i had to meet in order for me to get where i am that had to happen took entirely too many years and it was a lot of effort but by the time i got there i was just so done with settling and and i don't say settling in the sense that i settled with people with whom i didn't care for or respect or weren't worthy that's not what i'm saying i settled it was mostly my fault all the fail relationships now you know thinking back on it and having that perspective but i did not do the things i needed in relationships that i needed and therefore they were not successful right. and until you make that determination that that's what you're going to do you're not going to back off of that not going to not going to concede and just kind of tolerate then you're, you need to do those things to move forward. Listen, I remember very specifically, I went to visit my parents when uh, I was getting married. I was preparing to get married for the fourth time. They had not met this gal at that point. And my mother and my father and I went out to dinner. I took them out to dinner at a place not too far from where they were living in Florida. And I said, hey, I, I want to tell you something. My mother, right away, you talk about no judgment, right? And someone who's never surprised by anything that her son is going to say or do at this point because she knows that anything is possible with me. I said, hey, I, I, gotta, I want to tell you guys something. I want to, I want to share something with you. She goes, are you gay? That was my mother. <laughs> I, I, went, I said, no. I said, but it's probably going to make what I'm going to tell you easier, you know, <laughs> get married again. And oh, okay, pass the salt. I mean, it was literally that kind of conversation. Nothing, no one was shocked. No one was surprised. She, she wouldn't have been shocked or surprised or angry if you were gay. No, I, she almost looked like she was hoping that I was, you know. <laughs> I mean, you got to remember how many gay and lesbian family members I have. She's like, oh, just part of the tribe, you right. know, whatever. But no, she was, not only was she not, there was no surprise, there was no shock, there was no judgment, none of that stuff. Even having failed three times at this, doing it a fourth, again, it was just a, it was like, you know, how's the weather? Right. No, nothing to it. No judgment. No, nothing. As long as you're happy. That's all I ever heard from my mother. As long as you're happy. You yeah. Know. And I think for me, it was it was something different than that even. It was something more profound than just like not caring anymore or wanting right. something different. For me, it was finally accepting that I couldn't care what other people thought of me because the reason I didn't immediately jump into a BDSM dynamic with someone or explore that world in depth as soon as I found out how much I loved it was because I was terrified of the idea of people finding out. I was terrified of the idea of people passing that level of judgment on me. There must be something wrong with me. And then, you know, even beyond that, you start reading journals, uh, people's quote unquote, professional opinions on things like BDSM or even non-monogamy and your diagnosis, something being wrong with you. Yeah. Well, and for me, it was, you know, obviously just prior to my coming uh, here and meeting you, I was in a situation in my professional life where that information would have been, I mean, it really would have been looked down upon had I just been open and said, hey, this is really what I need. This is who I'm going to be. As the COO of a successful group of restaurants, it would have been a little strange and would have been met with uh, a judgment. By at, at the very least, it would have been met with harsh judgment. Right. And I just wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. I didn't want to go through it. Didn't want to put myself in that position. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, it's a combination of two things, in my opinion. One is 
you have to get to the point where you where your own happiness and your own desires are more important than what other people think, which is much easier said than done. Much easier. I'm well aware. I think people go their entire lives trying to do that, but not actually succeeding. Yep. And I think the second portion of it is we as a society need to continue moving towards the acceptance of things that have been considered, quote unquote, abnormal or not the norm within relationships and sexuality. I think we're seeing that. And I think the reason that you and I do a lot of the work we do is because we want to contribute positively to that movement. I think it's exciting when whenever we have someone reach out, for example, and say, I've talked to my partner of 30 years for the first time ever about the fact that I may be bisexual or I may want a non-monogamous relationship or whatever the case may be it's like they're finally finding the courage within themselves to voice those things and being a part of that has been really rewarding well you're also at, a, at that point and we've talked to a number of folks that we've had conversations with and clients you're, when you're prepared your preparedness for saying something to your partner about hey i need this going forward this is something i feel really passionate about i need to be in an ethically not, uh, non-monogamous relationship or i'm bisexual anything like that particularly when it's a couple who's been together for a while. They've got a history, as you said, 20, 30 years, 10 years. When you're getting ready to have that conversation, you have also reconciled with yourself the possibility that you have de- that you will destroy that relationship forever going forward. And that's very difficult for people. That's something you have to think about. You've been married 10 years. You're about to tell your significant other that what they're going to hear is they're not enough for you. That's right. what they're going to hear. Yep. And they're going to say, well, it's been 10 years. Why didn't you, why did I not hear about this sooner? And then you have to explain, I didn't want to be met with judgment. I, I didn't want to be ridiculed. I didn't want to be put down. Or I, I've had it know. pounded in my head for my entire life that the things that I want and feel like I need are wrong. Yeah, I, I didn't want to be abnormal. I didn't want people to look at me like a, you know, some kind of freak. Well, you have to be prepared that that for that relationship to come to a screeching halt because if your partner is not willing to go down that road with you, you've got to make a hard decision. You are, as you said, you are either going to continue to live a life that is unpleasant for you in some degree with now a partner who's firmly aware that they feel like you're not necessarily thinking they're enough for you or that relationship comes to an end. Yeah. It's a very difficult place to be, which for us, which is why we advocate 100% if you're moving toward getting into a serious relationship with someone and you think that you need something from your relationship from a sexual component particularly, you have a certain proclivity, you think you're bisexual, you need to be ethically non-monogamous, you want to explore your sexuality, you need to be upfront and honest and say that from the beginning. Save everyone a lot of time and trouble. Yes, absolutely. I will also say if you are somebody listening to our show right now who's not sure, you know, what your sexual interests are, we hear from people all the time that say that. I was that person for a long time. It's not that I didn't have sexual interests looking back on it. It was that I didn't even think those sexual interests were a possibility. So read listen to podcasts, soak up all the information you possibly can. I think that's the best thing that you can possibly do in arming yourself with at least the starting of an understanding of who you might be as a sexual being because going through your entire life not understanding or owning your own sexuality, 
Oh my God, I can't imagine. I did it for 25, 26 years and even that was too much. Yeah, it, it's a very difficult conversation to have a lot of times for people and especially if you don't know and, and it's okay. You don't have to know. We have this conversation a lot. We don't know where our sexual exploration ends. We have no idea. No, we're we, still on our journey. We're, we don't know that we are not going to be in a polyamorous relationship at some point. We don't know whether it's going to be a hierarchical type situation or we, we have no idea. We don't know where we land. What we do know is that we are open to all those possibilities are you know we are prepared for whatever comes our way and we're open to all those experiences so we don't discount anything right and i think that's it's really important for people to kind of get their heads around that and to work toward that yeah don't feel like you got to put yourself in a box you don't have to be well i'm i'm strictly this or i'm strictly that no that doesn't have to be that way right and also start to eliminate some of the boxes that have been created in your life by outside forces whether it's your parents whether it's religion whether it's friend groups friends past relationships lovers whoever it may be like you have to break down those boxes if you're going to be your true self yeah and you have to be afraid you know unfortunately there is a point where you have to again make that decision you have to make the distinction and you have to know deep down that by telling someone hey i need this this is the kind of relationship that i need you may lose that relationship and you may lose some other relationships along the way mm-hmm. but if you truly want to be happy you've just got to kind of come to grips with who you are and what and who you want to be and everyone that should be in your life will be yeah it's a really good way to find out who's really on your side oh, and yeah. you can count we on. found out <laughs> Yes, yes, we did. Yeah, we found out real quick and no better way. You know, cleanse the palate. You'll find out very quickly who's on your team and who isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think delving more into having uh, conversations with your partner about the things that you want and need will be a really great topic for us down the road because we have a lot to cover on that. We talk to people constantly about that and uh, we didn't really dig into that today. So we'll save that for you guys for a future episode. Yeah, for sure. And also, if you guys want to hear a specific topic, we've gotten a couple of email suggestions. We're going to start working those into future episodes as well. But if there's something that you are wanting us to cover, we would love to know what that is. We're very open to what it is you guys are wanting to hear from us. So you can send those ideas over to sexonyourterms at gmail.com. Also, you can find us on social media. We are on both Twitter and Instagram at Sex on Your Terms. Throwing up some fun stuff, retweeting some great information there. So we hope that you'll check us out. You can find all the information on our coaching services and additional resources from us at sexonyourterms.com. We want to say a huge thank you to those of you who have already tuned in, subscribed to us on whichever platform you're listening on, because the podcast kind of exploded. Yeah, we are very fortunate. We had a really great experience with our Front Porch Swingers podcast. And this has been even a greater experience in the beginning than our first attempt at podcasting. Certainly, we've got some great people listening. We've got some great reviews on iTunes. Please uh, keep that up. We appreciate that very much. Absolutely. And until next time, we hope you have sex on your terms. <laughs>